Breaking news across the Atlantic Coast Conference region this morning as reportedly the Atlantic Coast Conference will be expanding in 2024-25 with the addition of Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Mike Waddell, David Glenn with you here on the North Carolina Sports Network. And DG, how did this happen? Well, Mike, it took a lot of things coming together in a perfect storm of sorts. And I think one way to describe it is if the Atlantic Coast Conference, which has been around for more than 70 years, were picture them being a neighbor of the old Pac-12, right? And the ACC presidents and chancellors are watching the Pac-12 uh, proverbially slide into the lake or slide into the ocean or fall apart right before our eyes. And remember, most of those Pac-12 schools had been together through various conference names all the way back to 1905. And when you truly watch the Pac-12 disintegrate over what? Basically TV money and not enough of it, especially in football. That league has fallen apart. Whatever the Pac-12 remains, it will no longer be a true Power Five, as we've called it, conference. The ACC folks... They know that Cal and Stanford and SMU are not really upgrading their football product, TV or otherwise. They know there's a ridiculous downside to sending your teams coast to coast in all of these Olympic sports in particular that don't turn profits. But they were making decisions from a point of fear to a degree. They're watching the Pac-12 disintegrate before their eyes and they don't want to see that happen to the beloved 71-year-old Atlantic Coast Conference. They're not blind to the downsides of this decision. They are not blind to the reality that something called the Atlantic Coast Conference now has two schools you know, within a three-wood of the Pacific Ocean. They see those realities, but they're reaching for stability here. And for reasons related to their TV contract with ESPN, they're going to make more money, not a huge windfall, but more money per school. For reasons related to the details of how these new schools are coming in, that's going to allow the current ACC members to line their pockets just a little bit. There's more reasons related to the ACC network that we can get into if you want. But just remember, this is not an arm's length, even keeled, take a deep breath decision by the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is a decision born out of fear of falling apart the way the Pac-12 fell apart. It might not be a brilliant decision, but in the eyes of those who voted yes, and they needed 12 out of 15 yeses to make this expansion happen, in the eyes of almost all of those, this was about stability even though they're well aware that there are all sorts of imperfections about this decision, and they're going to take in all sorts of criticism along the way. DG, you're one of the only folks in the media who has written and talked about the root cause issues around ACC expansion. What's behind all this? Well, Mike, you know this as a longtime athletics administrator, right? I mean, TV money has always mattered. And believe it or not, 20 or so years ago, basketball TV money mattered just as much in many leagues and at many schools as football TV money. And if you go far enough back, basketball actually made more money for the ACC in the 80s and the 90s than football did. The world has changed dramatically, and football TV money specifically has become the tail that is wagging the dog. We've seen dozens of really good journalists write about the financial gap 
behind the SEC and the Big Ten. That's not only the ACC, but it's also the Big 12 on that kind of tier two. But what I don't see written often or hear talked about often is the root cause, right? You or I could have a medical ailment and the doctor may treat the, the skin rash or whatever other issue we have with medication. But most good medical professionals want to know what's the root cause of that problem you're having. Let's find the root cause. That's an even smarter approach to medicine. Well, the root cause of these football TV deficits are absolutely positively crystal clear and nobody's writing or talking about it. Here's the reality. Mike, if you and I did a deep dive on the, let, let me say this carefully, the most watched college football regular season games. So put aside the bowls and the college football playoff, put aside that weekend where a lot of leagues are having their championship games. And even put aside for purposes of this conversation, what I would call the intersectional games where, you know, a Georgia of the SEC plays a Clemson of the ACC. Limiting our conversation only to conference games when a Big Ten team plays another Big Ten team or an ACC team plays another ACC team. Conference games only. And you and I went into the archives and talked to our friends in TV land and found out what were those 20 most watched college football regular season games if you're only, again, looking at conference versus conference foe matchups. Most years, 18 of the top 20 are current and future members of the Big Ten and the SEC. Put a different way, ACC fans don't watch football games in the large numbers that Big Ten and SEC fans do. So whether it's John Swafford negotiating that TV deal a decade ago and getting a lot of criticism because the ACC, of course, that deal is a below market deal the way these others more recently negotiated have skyrocketed the dollars. It is accurate to say that John Swafford signed a below-market TV deal. But it's also accurate to say, and this is what people miss, no matter who the negotiator was, if you and I elected the smartest person we've ever known, the best negotiator we've ever known, there is a zero chance that somebody representing the ACC or the Big 12 gets the same kinds of dollars as a negotiator representing the Big 10 or the SEC. Why? Because the Big Ten and the SEC folks are showing these TV executives, we got 18 of the 20 last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. And you know how this works. When it comes to basketball, you know what the most watched game is most years? It's Duke Carolina. In men's basketball, the top two are often Duke Carolina, one in Chapel Hill and one in Durham. They can get $4 million plus for that game in basketball. In football, Mike, the biggest games – Dozens of them can get four million or more up to and for a regular season game, they can get 18 million for a regular the biggest regular season college football game. Current and future members of the Big Ten, current and future members of the SEC with a couple schools on the way in both cases. They're responsible for almost all of those biggest college football regular season conference versus conference foe TV matchups. In the ACC, really only Clemson and Florida State, two of the ones that have been against expansion here and screaming about possibly leaving the ACC, they're the only two in the ACC. Notre Dame being a partial member would be a third in football, but they're independent in that sport. Those are the only three ACC schools, if you want to call them that, that get regularly TV audiences of three million or more. The others occasionally get it, 
but it's just it's a second tier series of TV numbers, both in the Big 12 and the ACC, compared to what they routinely churn out year after year in the Big Ten and the SEC in the sport of football specifically, which has grown to become that tail that wags the dog. The previous vote breakdown on ACC expansion reportedly had at least four dissenting votes. And it's important to remember that even though Notre Dame is not a full member of the ACC in terms of football, they had a vote in expansion. But the four dissenting votes reportedly were Clemson, Florida State, NC State, and North Carolina. Now, UNC Chapel Hill's Board of Trustees came out publicly on Thursday against expansion. Very strongly worded statement. But the vote for North Carolina was in the hands of the chancellor, Kevin Guskowitz. In your opinion, who is most likely to have flipped to allow Stanford, Cal, and SMU to join the ACC in 24-25? It's interesting, Mike. When I saw that statement, I was wondering whether the Board of Trustees statement from UNC Chapel Hill was aimed at their own decision makers, right? Because if you're the Board of Trustees member and you think your own chancellor might turn in favor of expansion, well, guess what? You're the board that appointed that person. So you're kind of his boss in a sense. So I was wondering whether it was aimed toward the Tar Heels internally or whether that same statement was aimed at fellow public university here in the same UNC system, NC State, about 30 minutes to the east. Uh, I'm not sure the answer as we talk right now with my phone buzzing. I'm not 100% sure of that answer. But we do know that you, the ACC's bylaws have all sorts of different rules, right? As strange as it might sound, to disband the conference, to, to just dis disband, to dissolve the ACC, would have only taken eight, a majority, eight of 15. And a lot of schools were afraid of that happening. Now that they're bigger, it would take more schools to get to a majority to vote in favor of dissolving the conference. Other, schools other uh, issues require a two-thirds vote. But as you might imagine, expansion being crucially important, that's the highest threshold in the ACC bylaws. You need a 75% vote, which I won't do the math for you, but that does come out to 12 out of 15. We know that Clemson and Florida State have been screaming no. They don't believe these three new schools are going to upgrade the football prominence of the ACC, and they're right about that. We know UNC as another school that could easily find a new home. If all heck breaks loose, Mike, the safest schools are Clemson and Florida State because of their football TV power, UNC because of a combination of a strong brand and up and down football and great basketball, but also UNC would be a new geography for either the Big Ten or the SEC, whereas Clemson and Florida State would not be new geography for the Southeastern Conference, for example. That still matters for TV-type reasons. So NC State was viewed as an on-the-line kind of decision-maker. And actually, the University of Miami, quietly, was a little bit in a gray area. The, the, the Hurricanes, as five-time national champions in football, they believe they would also find a landing place in the all-heck-breaks-loose kind of scenario, which, again, the ACC has dodged with today's expansion. Um, so it, we're not sure yet. I think that reporting will make clear. Um, and we'll see how the ACC announces it. I've been around for 36 years. Sometimes when the ACC has a close vote, but then those who said no agree that, oh, well, if it's going to happen, you can announce it as if we all said yes. 
I mean, sometimes that stuff happens behind the scenes. So we'll see how the reporting comes out on that. But we know that Florida State and Clemson are still not happy. Uh, I'm pretty sure that UNC was not the one that flipped its vote. So whether they announce it as a 15 to zero vote or whether they announce it as a 12 to three vote, we'll see. But I don't think the Tar Heels, the, the Tigers or the Seminoles were the ones doing the flipping. Earlier this week on your David Glenn show, you had the 75th governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, and he was your guest and talked about a variety of subjects. But this topic of conference expansion came up specific to the ACC. What did the governor have to say there? And what do you think the public sentiment as a whole will be? Well, he was worried, you know, because first of all, as the governor of North Carolina, of course, you don't govern Duke and Wake Forest as private universities in the ACC, but you do govern indirectly uh, the UNC system that includes the Wolfpack and the Tar Heels. So there are scenarios where if the ACC breaks up, even though we know UNC would find a home, because they are, they were offered a spot in the Big Ten 10 years ago, and they just decided to stay in the ACC while, remember, Maryland accepted that offer from the Big Ten 10 years ago. Uh, there are scenarios where the Wolfpack would not find a home because NC State, while a good brand, is just not viewed the same way as the Tar Heels. So Roy Cooper's a, a big sports fan, a huge hockey fan in particular, but grew up in North Carolina in that culture of college sports, has a great story about playing head-to-head -head against UNC basketball legend Phil Ford back when those guys were both young guys and uh, on high school basketball players. But he was just hoping that the ACC stayed together. Uh, and to answer your other part of your question, I think most fans are going to be unhappy. You're going to have people correctly pointing out, this doesn't solve the root problem that I just described. For those who don't know, Stanford is an okay football TV draw. They were kind of middle of the Pac-12, but they don't fill their stadium. And part of their TV draw is because they play Notre Dame every year, and the Irish are an absolute juggernaut when it comes to drawing football TV audiences. Cal doesn't put anybody in its football stadium, relatively speaking. SMU certainly doesn't. So there's going to be criticism about that. There's going to be criticism from those who don't believe it passes the common sense test. And I mean, that's common S-E-N-S-E. The Atlantic Coast Conference has two schools at the Pacific Ocean and another one in Texas. You're going to see that criticism. You're going to see more. You saw this, Mike. You're a lifelong North Carolinian, um, putting aside those years where you were bouncing all over America as an administrator. Uh, these are your roots, right? So you have seen this league grow from an eight-school league to now this 18-school monstrosity, right? Of course there's a watering down of the culture. You and I knew each other when we were probably 21-ish years old, right? We probably could have named not only the head coach in football and men's basketball and the star players, maybe even the whole starting lineup, maybe even the whole lineup at Duke and State and Carolina and Wake Forest. We also might have been able to break that down for the other four or five teams in the league. It was my job as the guy who created the ACC Sports Journal to know all eight schools and then with Florida State in the early 90s became nine. Mike, I'm not kidding. Maybe we did have these lunches. I could have given you the football depth chart, the starting 22 players for all nine ACC football teams, and I could have given you the top eight or nine basketball players for all nine. I mean, it's still part of my job description all these years later. Try that with 18 schools. I mean, how many people who are – I mean, I, we all know diehard ACC fans. 
right now as a 15-team league about to grow to 18, how many of those diehard sports fans could name really quickly without Google all 15 head coaches in the two major sports or the starting quarterbacks for all 15 schools or the starting point guards for all 15 basketball? You better be a real diehard if you're going to pass that test. So there's going to be that additional criticism about the watering down of the culture. A lot of people don't like that. But as we all know, all of this traces back to money. And you can add stability and you can add other things, but it, it all goes back to money. And if that sacrifices old rivalries, if that sacrifices young people having to travel coast to coast in Olympic sports that don't turn profits, a lot of things are going to be sacrificed in pursuit of the almighty dollar. But in this particular case, also pursuit of stability, no matter how you look at it. If you look at it from SMU's perspective, it's one, one way of seeking something better than where you are. Cal and Stanford is a different way of seeking something better than your current situation. For most of the ACC schools, it's only a little bit more money, but they see it as a lot more stability, again, even though they see the obvious downsides to this decision. You're tuned into the North Carolina Sports Network and our breaking news coverage of ACC expansion reportedly with Stanford, Cal, and SMU joining the ACC ranks in 2024-25. I'm Mike Waddell along with David Glenn. And David, you've said that football television money has been described as the tail wagging the dog. How does that translate to financials, to big numbers? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that, Mike, because this is another thing that I don't think is covered very well. The numbers that I'm about to give you are not the actual numbers in the ACC's tax returns, which I actually have access to, but the most recent publicly available tax returns are from the 21-22 tax year, so we don't have yet the tax returns from 22-23. So you know how I'm, a, I'm just a kind of fierce accuracy guy, so I want to label this accurately. These are ballpark numbers, not the tax return numbers. But let's imagine it, a modern ACC right now with a total shared revenue. Schools do make their own revenue, but this is the pie of shared revenue. If we picture that pie right now as in the neighborhood of $700 million a year for the ACC, and that's an accurate ballpark estimate. Of that $700 million in shared revenue per year, about 500 is TV money. That's how important TV money is to the overall budget of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And of course, that translates to the size of the check that the ACC headquarters signs each year and sends to those 15 members, Notre Dame being a partial member, and the Irish do get a much smaller check. But the 14 football members get a check in the 40 or so million dollar a year range. 70 plus percent of the value of that check, 70 plus percent, is TV money. Now, there are other things that matter. Bowl money, which indirectly is TV money, but it fundamentally comes from the bowls. NCAA tournament money, which also is indirectly TV money, but it does come from the NCAA, mainly the NCAA men's basketball tournament, but also championship money more generally. So again, let me just recap that. 70% plus of the ACC's annual revenue is TV money. Within that 70 plus percent, 80 or so reflects the value of football. People don't understand, like men's basketball still matters, 
but it could be 80% football TV money, 19% men's basketball TV money, and 1% all other sports combined TV money. And when I say TV nowadays, that's multimedia, streaming TV, et cetera. But they're inching towards 75% TV money. And then the last percentages I saw, 73% TV money, 15-ish percent bowl money, 10%-ish NCAA championship money, meaning March Madness mostly, and then small percentage, everything else combined, meaning the ACC tournament and ACC sponsorships and ACC branding and what they hope to build on with their headquarters moving to Charlotte. They're expecting more millions uh, now that they're surrounded by so many Fortune 500 companies. But yeah, if you're getting almost 75% of your money directly from your TV partners, ESPN mainly, but also the ACC network, which is a partnership with ESPN. And then a lot of the rest of that is indirectly TV money. Well, of course, you know, when you get to the point that 72 or 3% is direct TV money and, and really overall 95% of a conference's shared revenue is that direct TV money plus the indirect TV money, meaning bowls and, and NCAA tournament. Of course, we're in a world now where TV money and especially football TV money is that tail wagging the college sports dog. And a lot of people probably don't realize that the vast majority of the now, I think, over 40 bowl games are owned by ESPN. So it's not like the NCAA, which is running the, the, the NCAA March Madness. I mean, ESPN is pretty much bowl season. And uh, they run it. Very few bowls now are still very much uh, independent as they once were. Uh, none of these newcomers, Stanford, Cal, SMU, coming to the ACC again reportedly in 24-25, are arriving as full financial partners. Was that a big reason why the uh, ACC member institutions decided to welcome them in with open arms? Yes, Mike. Your question is an understatement. I'll put it this way. There is a 0% chance this expansion would have happened if those three newcomers expected to be a full financial member. Now, they are a full, there are going to be full members in terms of bringing all of their sports. They're not doing any of that Notre Dame stuff where you put some sports off to the side. Uh, so they're full members in the competitive sense. But financially, this would not have happened unless SMU has agreed to join the ACC. And for the first, I believe it's going to be seven years. SMU will not take its share of ACC television revenue. That means the Mustangs, Mike, are foregoing more than $200 million worth of TV revenue. Well, where's that $200 million going to go? Well, it's going to be spread among the other ACC members, which makes them happy and is how they got to 12, you know, part of the reason they got to 12 votes, along with that stability factor. Cal and Stanford have this long-form stretch where from now to 2036, which is when the current ACC TV deals expire, they're locked into that deal so far into the future, that's part of their financial problems to begin with. But with Cal and Stanford, I believe their starting percentage is going to be in the 25 to 30% range. You know, why would they do that? If Cal and Stanford did not get an ACC invitation, they would have been stuck joining either the American Athletic Conference or the Mountain West Conference, or they might have you know, kept the Pac-12 name and added schools. However, they did that. Their their TV revenue was going to drop way below 10 million per school per year. By joining the ACC, you know you're going to get more than 30 million in just TV money per year once you get to be a full financial share school. 
But they agreed on just like SMU is getting zero for the first seven years. Cal and Stanford are going to start at twenty-five or thirty percent, which gives them gives them that seven to ten million dollars a year that is better than that what than their other offers right now. Right? They don't have any leverage. They're in a league that just fell apart. They don't have a new landing place, so they had an incentive to accept a very reduced share for a long period of years. I'm not sure when they get to become 100%. We'll see. We'll learn those details in the hours and days to come. But it might be the 2030s before Stanford and Cal are taking full financial shares. What does that do? It buys the ACC some time. None of the things we're discussing today are going to close the $30 million a year gap that the ACC schools have to the SEC and the Big Ten right now. But little by little, those three new schools taking zero shares or low shares, that'll, that spreads some new money to spread around. Remember, the, AC, the, the, AC, the ACC's contract with ESPN requires ESPN to pay them tens of millions of dollars for every new expansion school. Well, that's a new pile of a lot of money. And if, if the newcomers aren't taking full shares, that's a nice number of millions to spread among the existing ACC members. There's also going to be new revenue tied to the ACC network. We can get into that if you like. But there's no way this deal happens if Cal, Stanford, and SMU got a 1-18th financial slice of the pie. The numbers wouldn't add up at all. As it is, the ACC schools are only making a handful of millions each in new money. It's hard to pin down that number, but it's not five million each. Now it's not two million each either. It's somewhere in between, but four or five million that you didn't have before is nice in terms of the schools that voted yes. And the the growth of the ACC network will add more money. Uh, and remember, you know th these schools both wanted more money but they wanted the stability that they believe comes with expansion. Again, it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways, but a few million more plus the stability that they feel being an 18 school league. As remembered, the Big Ten's on its way to 18, uh, um, and the SEC and the Big 12 are in that 16-18 neighborhood as well. So the ACC, real quick note, their contract with ESPN, shout out to Brett McMurphy, for he was the first I saw report this, the ACC's net, uh, contract with ESPN allows ESPN, and this goes to the stability factor, to negotiate the deal downward if the ACC were to fall below 15 members. Hmm. That, is, that is the last thing in the world. Anybody trying to figure out why the ACC said yes or 12 of its 15 schools said yes, of course, the money matters. Don't forget the stability factor. And part of the stability factor is if FSU, we've all talked about the 12, the $120 million exit fee, if FSU or Clemson or somebody else tries to leave, and the, the grant of rights, meaning you're leaving hundreds of millions of your TV rights in your old conference, you'd be playing as an independent or a member of a different league, and the TV money for your games would be going to your former league, hundreds of millions of dollars of value. That's the picture that has prevented Florida State and or Clemson from leaving to this point. But you're talking about the, the aspect of stability where you don't have to worry about as an 18-team league, even if Florida State surprises everybody and says, man, we're going to challenge that grant of rights. We're going to take the ACC to court. Or maybe they'll buy their way out of the league. Maybe they'll sign a check 
for a few hundred millions of dollars and just try to play as an independent until someday maybe they'll get an invitation from the SEC or the Big Ten. Until then, remember, Clemson and Florida State, they're not getting invitations from those wealthiest leagues as long as they have these legal issues. Big Ten and the SEC don't want any part of that grant of rights stuff. They're telling FSU and Clemson, we might consider you someday, but you better figure out that legal stuff because we're not getting in the middle of that. And we're, we're plenty wealthy and happy with, with how we are. Um, so in this sense, growing to 18 adds a new level of stability because you're not close to falling below 15 in a way that would allow ESPN to negotiate the TV money downward which would be the worst nightmare, keeping these chancellors and presidents up at night. You're talking about three schools also in Stanford, Cal, and SMU who are very financially uh, fortified. Uh, I know Rick Hart, the AD at SMU. His father, Dave, used to be the AD both at East Carolina and at Florida State, veteran uh, Hall of Fame athletics administrator. He had George Bush, the former president, lobbying his presidential library is on the SMU campus. I used to live just a few miles away from there. And the SMU community is truly uh, vested in this program, the rebirth of this. So in adding SMU, you get a huge television market uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth. Obviously, with Stanford and Cal, that's more Northern California. And Stanford and Cal have a lot of very rich uh, alumni who will help them out. So I don't think they're going to be uh, out on the sidewalk uh, shaking their uh, 10 cup for uh, shillings out there. But but how does this uh, adding of Northern California and Dallas-Fort Worth help fortify the ACC network? Yeah, and to your point, remember Condoleezza Rice was among those advocating for Stanford, just as some very famous people were advocating for SMU or Cal. Uh the ACC network impact is not an immediate impact. It's not like tomorrow anybody's going to be holding a new bag of cash. But over time, it's important to remember that the ACC network gets a very small amount of money from its subscribers that are out of market. Okay? So any ACC network subscriber who has that channel and their paid TV package in most states in the United States that do not have ACC members – they're paying a dollar a year for the ACC network. I mean, that's peanuts. When you convert TV households from out of market, which Northern California and the Dallas-Fort Worth area have been to this point, to in market, well, then you're charging them a much higher rate. So your examples reflecting those three schools, when you combine the Dallas-Fort Worth TV market and the Northern California TV market, that is roughly five and a half million TV households. Those are two enormous markets. Now, of course, not all of those households are pay TV households, so they might not have access to the ACC network. But generally speaking in America, two-thirds of TV households, even with cord cutting and cord shaving, two-thirds of TV households are still pay TV households. And that means either satellite or your cable company or even the modern-day streaming you know, Hulu with live TV is not traditional pay TV, but it is pay TV if you get the live version of Hulu or YouTube TV or some of the other modern alternatives. Two-thirds of America are still pay TV households, okay? So I'll have to do that math in my head. If you have 5.5 5 million new TV households and two-thirds of that, let's say that's 3.6 million. You correct my math if I get it wrong. So that's 3.6 million new pay TV households. Not every single one of them 
is going to have the ACC network as part of their package. But since the ACC network got pretty much full distribution nationally at the end of 2021, a huge chunk of those households will have the ACC network. Well, they're going to go from, and these are just ballpark numbers. If you, if you, if you turn over, Mike, let's say it, let's say the ultimate number is, is 3 million or 2 million. If you're converting 3 million TV households who used to pay a dollar a year for your channel and are now paying $15 a year for your channel, that's a nice upgrade because let's say it's two, 2 million new converted, right? And let's just pretend you're only upgrading them by $10 a year each. 2 million times $10 a year is $20 million in new revenue to the ACC network. Again, all of these are very round numbers, but I'm just trying to paint a broad picture here. It's hard to get into the nitty gritty, but let's say it's 20 million in new revenue for the ACC network. That is a partnership. So you have to share the, the new profits with ESPN. They get 50%, you get 50%. But on the low end, that's 10 million a year in new revenue for the ACC. Um, and, and it's probably higher than that. So it might, it might, let's, if it, what if it was 30 million in new revenue for the ACC? Well, that's 2 million in new revenue for each ACC member. Again, these are hard numbers to pin down because a lot of this information that I'm describing is not public information. These TV executives, you know, they don't tell us how much they charge per channel. And it's certainly not on our cable or satellite bill. They don't itemize how much you pay for your individual channels. It's just one big bill. Um, and that's purposeful. It's proprietary information. But that's just one more. Again, not a windfall. But if you add the few million that expansion brings per school, and then another one or two million that new ACC network revenue brings over time, well, then then it's a small financial bump, certainly compared to the 30 million deficit per year. It doesn't feel like a lot. But if it grows into a new five million a year per school, that's five million. That's a five million bite out of the thirty million that you need to make up, right? Um, and again, you get closer to twenty thirty six if you can just hang on. Mike, you and I saw articles written ten years ago that Florida State and Clemson were going to leave the ACC because they didn't like their TV deals ten years ago, and I was among those telling you that it wasn't going to fall apart. And now we're three or four months into this latest series of the ACC is about to die. And we've been telling you, no, it's not. Well, here we are from 10 years ago to three months ago to today. The ACC has not fallen apart. The ACC has not dissolved. It's a hairy situation. Nobody, this league was the wealthiest league in America, the ACC, 20 years ago in terms of its per school payout in shared conference revenue. 20 years ago, not ancient history. But 20 years ago, and maybe even a little after that, now it's a distant third. But it has the, the ACC has the same fundamental problems that the Big 12 has. They're second-tier TV deals. Why? Because they have second-tier TV audiences, and they just don't have the the as many schools that draw those enormous numbers of football TV eyeballs. The Big Ten and the SEC have the most of those schools and the most of those games. And that's why those two leagues are in such a healthier financial place right now. But I'd argue that the ACC and the Big 12 are in a solid place as the other two members of the Power Four will now call it. Because every other league 
is a thousand miles below the Big 12 and the ACC financially. So you're not happy that you're not on the top tier, but you're real happy that you're not on the third or fourth or fifth tier tier in major college athletics. Fascinating subplots all around the Atlantic Coast Conference region this morning as reportedly the ACC will be expanding next year, the 24-25 academic year with the addition of Stanford, Cal, and SMU. We'll keep coverage coming to you right here on the North Carolina Sports Network. Check out our website at ncsportsnetwork.com. Follow us on Twitter at the NC Sportsnet, and we're going to be in Charlotte tomorrow at the Duke's Mayo Classic for North Carolina, South Carolina at Bank of America Stadium, hopefully on ESPN in this market. And kind of a funny side trot that you have Spectrum not carrying ESPN right now and the Disney Channel, so who knows where people are going to watch that. So it all comes together right here in one big ball, and we're able to tell you about all of this thanks to our foundational partner here on the North Carolina Sports Network, and that's the North Carolina Port Council. So we want to thank them for allowing us to be into your homes and into your viewing uh, plans as you follow this breaking news story of the ACC expanding by three teams, Stanford, Cal, and SMU for the 24-25 season. DG, we'll see you in Charlotte. Sounds good, Mike. We look forward to that one and also the, the Clemson-Duke game on Monday night. We're taking the old North State tailgate and traveling sports circus all over our great state all fall. Thanks for doing this today, and we'll uh, see you tomorrow.